Hello and good morning. My name is John, and we are, as a church body, making our way through Proverbs. And we are this morning in Proverbs chapter 4. If you are new to Covenant, it may seem strange to have all of our children with us during the worship service. It is deliberate. Little theologians, very happy to have you here this morning. As I am preaching through this passage, I'd like for you to draw for me uh, a picture of as many trash cans as you can. I know that these requests always catch you off guard. Sometimes as Christians, we throw the wrong things into trash cans. And this is a passage about uh, that which is precious and valuable and never should be thrown in a trash can. But draw for me several trash cans. Our passage this morning is from Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. It is a shortish uh, passage, but uh, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer before we even read it together. Please pray with me. Our Holy Father, we think sometimes that uh, our sheer intellectual power and uh, our attentiveness, uh, our bionic strength, as it were, will give us understanding from your word, but in fact, we need your Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, would you grant that your spirit would work in us, taking to us this word, and then work through us that we might carry this word uh, into the various places that we shall be this week. Thank you for doing this in your grace, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Let's look at it together. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. This is the word of our Lord. The great Hebrew scholar Derek Kidner uh, says of this passage that uh, love of the best things is something we need to be trained at. Love of the best things. We actually need to be trained how to love the best things. And uh, Derek Kidner, who is a scholar of Hebrew poetry, says in this passage, uh, the love of the best things is transmitted through personal influence you see that the father is teaching the son, addresses sons. But the father is also mentioning the instruction and training he's received from his father, that is the grandfather of the son. And Derek Kidner says that we uh, are uh, taught how to love the best things along channels of affection. Channels of affection. The father loves his son. And the grandfather loves the son's father, and seemingly so, the grandfather also loves his grandson. Channels of affection. You know, we often learn uh, the most important things in life through our parents, 
I am someone who happens to love cars. Many of you know that. I think that's an important thing. I was taught that by my father. My father, uh, he loved and loves cars. And we often uh, learn that which to love through our parents. Well, it can work positively. It can sometimes work neg- negatively, can't it? Uh, some of my father's uh, bad loves have also come to me. I'm like my father in that we both tend to be rather selfish. We tend to uh, use a lot of our time on our own selfish hobbies. So it can sometimes work uh, negatively. And sometimes what we learn from our parents can uh, not be uh, positive or negative, but sometimes it just doesn't work at all. Uh, Many might be surprised to hear that my father uh, loves music. In fact, he'd be embarrassed for me to say so, but my father was actually accepted to Juilliard. His parents paid an awful lot of money for his piano lessons, and yet uh, his dad would not send him to Juilliard. And yet, while my father loves music, I don't necessarily love music myself. My father has rather sophisticated tastes, and I have, well, you get the point. Uh, Sometimes the things that we gain from our uh, parents are positive, and sometimes they're negative, and sometimes they just don't work uh, at all. And King Solomon, he has a love for wisdom and a love for God. And this love for God was transmitted to him by his father, King David. Now, that's not a surprise to us at all, is it? How many of us would love to have a father like King David? And King Solomon did. And David passed along to Solomon a great affection for God. It may be that King David, he got this from Jesse, his father. We're not actually told a lot about Jesse in Scripture. And maybe Jesse got it from his father, Obed. Uh, Again, we're not told much about Obed. Uh, We are told about Obed's father. That's Boaz. And Boaz was certainly a man who loved uh, the Lord. But we don't know, of course, Boaz's dad, Salmon, or his grandfather, Nashon. We know that this can happen. Not always, but it can happen that our affection for God is transmitted to us from our Father, and it was transmitted to him through his Father. And I don't think really that uh, transmission along channels of affection is uh, really the point of this passage. Here's what I think this passage is about. We may or may not have heard God's will through family line. We may or we may not have heard God's will through our family line. But nevertheless, we are commanded by God to seek the one who has sought us. We are commanded by God to seek the one who has sought us. And uh, that is uh, approached by King Solomon in this passage in two ways. First, he describes his own example. That's the first half of the sermon. The dad's example, verses 1 through the first part of 4. But then the dad doesn't stop at merely the dad's example. He actually communicates something beyond the dad's life, wisdom's legacy. And that's the second half of the sermon, beginning in the second half of verse 4. How many times uh, have uh, we said to our kids, if you have kids, uh, do as I have done? It may be that more often we have said to our kids, actually, don't do as I have done. Uh, They seem to be equally compelling uh, messages, and I think more or less they ought to be listened to if you've heard these messages. 
You know, the first half of Solomon's life was marked by his great affection for God. Scripture uh, tells us this, and uh, that affection for God uh, resonates in this passage. Uh, He was taught affection for God by his dad, and he is offering uh, his life as an example to his own uh, son. I I think, though, that uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is more about the second half of King Solomon's life. In Ecclesiastes, you do hear King Solomon say, don't do what I did. But here he's saying, do what I did. And he begins his address in verse 1 by saying, oh, sons, and it's in the plural. Scholars don't know why exactly it's in the plural. It happens a couple of other times. But it may be this. It may be that he's addressing sons not merely because he has a large number of them, and he might, we're not told, but it may be that he's using son in the plural because he's speaking generically to all of us just by virtue of being a son, any son, And if that's the case, then he would be speaking to daughters as well, by virtue simply of being a daughter. Listen to this instruction. Well, parental authority ought to be a channel for uh, communicating God's will, and we don't always have that. But here the Father is doing that to you this morning. If you're a son and if, or if you're a daughter this morning, uh, these words are to you as if you were a son or daughter of King Solomon. But note that the father here, King Solomon, doesn't necessarily need to be your genetic dad because the father, we have already been told, is not himself the author of wisdom. This dad who's speaking, he didn't invent wisdom, instruction and insight and precepts and teaching, all of which we find here in verses 1 through 4, none of those are derived from King Solomon. They're derived from God. King Solomon has already told us, trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways acknowledge him. What a great opportunity for King Solomon to say, trust in me with all of your heart and in all your ways acknowledge me. But he, he doesn't. It is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of knowledge. And wisdom is to understand the fear of the Lord. Uh, the father, King Solomon, has been very clear about that. And here he is offering then instruction, but it's not his own instruction. It is instruction derived from the fear of the Lord. You notice uh, right here at the beginning that the father is commanding not just hearing instruction, but being attentive to it. You know, many of us have learned such a lesson late in life. I heard good instruction, but I wasn't attentive to it. And maybe that's you. Hopefully, uh, now you are attentive to that uh, good and godly instruction uh, that you heard. But just think about that. The Father is saying that he is the kind of example that has both heard and paid attention to. We know that distinction, don't we? That we can hear something but not pay attention to it. I think here that King Solomon is talking about the importance for a Christian to have a high regard for the things that they think, say, and do in their lives. A high view of personal holiness seems to be on the mind of King Solomon. Good theology tells us this, that God is the only one who works in my justification. It is for by grace alone that you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. That's familiar, isn't it? Ephesians 2, 
We understand that our justification is done completely and entirely by God, but what about our sanctification? This is the paying attention. You've heard, but pay attention. We are actually created for good works. I mean, it wasn't planned, but Jake mentioned that in our prayer this morning. Ephesians 2.10 falls right on the heels of that great statement about justification. We actually are called to be holy before God. Good works are important. John the Baptist said we're to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Uh, Jesus will ask about our fruit when he returns, Matthew chapter 25. It is God who gives growth, but we are called to more and more put on the new self that is being renewed more and more, Colossians 3. And I think that's what the Father is saying to the Son, not just here, but hear and be attentive. The Father is teaching about sanctification. Now, it is true that our attentiveness, our sanctification can wane. They can go back and forth. What a good gift to us if we have a father like King Solomon who would use his own life as an example. King Solomon is saying to his son, I heard and I paid attention. But he's not boasting about this, is he? You see in verse 3, what do we find there? We find the humility of the father. He says, when I was tender in the sight of my mother, when I was weak, when I was unlearned, I heard this message from my father. I didn't know anything. Here, yes, okay. Pay attention, yeah, sure, all right, dad. But he was weak. He knew nothing. And yet his father was still giving him a lesson. And you know, this morning, you have permission to be weak and tender. Here is encouragement for you. You don't have to feel wise. You don't have to feel anything beyond being simple, even foolish. Here is God speaking to you now this morning. Would you hear? Would you be attentive? If you feel wise this morning... And these are words of encouragement, but if you feel simple, listen to the Father. He's saying, I was like that too. You don't have to remain there. And the Father is holding himself out as an example, not just of justification, but of sanctification. And you see in verse 4, in the middle of that verse, the Father, he closes his mouth. And the father steps back into the recesses of the stage and he holds forward his father who is long dead. And the father speaks, the grandfather to the son. Six verses, verses four through uh, the very end through nine. Over and over again, this grandfather has a message and the father, he just steps back and he lets his dad speak to his son. If I could title the grandfather's sermon, and I think that's what we hear here, a sermon. If I could title grandfather's sermon, I would say it is sanctification and justification. That's a little cerebral, isn't it? Then I might say lost and found, or I might say failure and focus. Listen to where the grandfather's sermon begins. The very bulk of his comments, they're about failure. Do you see this? 
Again, verses 4 through 6. Let your heart hold fast. Is he not assuming that it will be hard to do this? Keep my commandments. Is he, is he not assuming that it's going to be hard to do this? Do not forget. Do not turn away. Do not forsake. Why is the grandfather speaking this way to a tender son and now to us? You see, the grandfather begins his sermon by saying that wisdom has a slippery quality. King Solomon is sharing that his dad told him from the very beginning, when he was tender, that it is not easy to value wisdom. What a great place to begin a sermon. Does that get your attention? Do we know that, don't we, about progressive sanctification, walking as a Christian? I know I'm saved. I know Jesus died for me, but it is so very difficult to live a holy life before him. What a great place to begin his sermon. Think about this. Times don't change, do they? Don't we often think that the present is far our harder than the past. Grandfather's world was so old-fashioned, so primitive, so much easier to live a holy life then, wasn't it? But it wasn't. The grandfather was saying, your time is no different than my time. Just think about the son, King Solomon. You think about how sophisticated his kingdom is in comparison to King David. Have you thought about that before? King Solomon seems to have created an entirely different world than, the, than, the, uh, than that which his father created. I mean, the administration in King Solomon's kingdom is so much more sophisticated than the administration of his father's. The infrastructure, his father built a house, didn't even build a temple. And we're told that King Solomon built at least seven other houses slash palaces and he built the temple, and he built harbors, and he built stables. In King Solomon's land, money was entirely different. Silver was common, almost tawdry, something to throw away, but not in King David's time. King Solomon created a land of wealth. And King Solomon made long-term connections with the nations around, especially with Egypt. King Solomon created something that's vastly more complex than that which he grew up with. And yet the grandfather, he can still say that sanctification is so hard. It was hard in my time and my grandson, it's hard in your time as well. But don't we quickly think that Grandpa's era was so simple? David didn't even uh, serve in his capital city until year seven of his reign. David had a small house, an archaic, primitive administration, not very much money. Wasn't it so easy to follow God then? Really? That's not the case. Sanctification, Christian, has always been hard. And forgetfulness, turning from God's will, has always been a temptation for those who are followers of Jesus. And the grandfather says that wisdom will take a fight. Do you see in verse 5 and verse 7, almost bookends to the first part of his sermon, get wisdom, get insight. 
We don't fight for our justification. We don't earn our justification. There ought to be, however, a fight in our lives for wisdom, for walking in a way that is pleasing to the one who has saved us in grace. How quick we are to raise our children to work so very hard for their education, to work so very hard for a good salary, to work so very hard for self-sufficiency. All of this is good. But this working so very hard doesn't always translate into life in the church. Little theologians fight for wisdom, fight for insight, love the worship of the church, love coming to church, love your brothers and sisters in the church, Uh, pray, worship, study God's holy word before you, and do good to others. Fight for wisdom, little theologians. And all of you saints, fight for wisdom. You see, that's the first half of the grandfather's sermon. I'm going to conclude with the second half of Grandfather's Sermon, which is in verses 8 and 9. If he began with sanctification, he ends with our justification. Or if he began with being lost, he ends with being found. Or if he began with failure, he ends with the very focus of our Christian life. From his youth, apparently Solomon was told by his dad that failure is ever near, but he was also told what to prize. Look at verse 8. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Do you hear all of the royal terminology here? Do you understand that that grandfather, King David, was talking to a prince, someone who would one day have regal authority, would have all of these things in as natural a way as possible? And yet that king says to his princely son, no, sit back. God will do all of these things. The king says to his prince, there is more to life than being the king. There's more to life than your coronation. There's more to life than your exercise of authority with the power of the crown. There's something better, and in fact, there's someone better. In verses 8 and 9, I want us to understand how active wisdom is. Do you see that she is doing all of these things What a great and glorious promise the father is making to his son. Don't get caught up in all of the royal fanfare, my son. Let her be the one who places a crown on your head. Do you hear Jesus in this advice? In the past, the recipient of wisdom put wisdom on his head and around his neck. Do you you recall that from the beginning of Proverbs over and over again? Grab hold of wisdom, put wisdom on your head, put wisdom around your neck. But here, King David says to his son, God is the one who will put wisdom on you. The recipient will be exalted and elevated by wisdom. Wisdom will turn to him and do all things necessary for him. 
Can I ask you to consider this morning that your ability to put on your sanctification, your ability to love wisdom, actually comes from the fact that wisdom approached you first. That's the story of the gospel. And it's important for us to hear this in the grandfather's sermon. We may or may not have heard God's will through family line, but we are commanded by God to seek the one who has sought us. If you're here this morning and you're a believer, the key to wisdom is knowing that God has come to you and saved you in his great grace. And as you lumber forward in your sanctification, he is always with you. That's what the grandfather's sermon is saying to his son. But if you're here this morning and you've yet to profess faith in Jesus, this is held out to you as a promise. Stop trying. Fall on your face. Acknowledge your failures. Repent. And he will lift you up and he will reclothe you with his own wisdom. This is the work of Jesus held out to you if you are not a follower of his. Isn't it wonderful that we today can benefit from the grandfather's sermon? We're told this sermon by the Son, and we're told this sermon by God himself. This is God's word. Believe it and live. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, we thank you for saving us in Christ Jesus, our Savior. And we ask, Father, that you would more and more, by your great grace, enable us to live in a way that is pleasing to you. Oh, Father, would we work hard. Oh, Father, thank you for being with us. In Jesus' name, amen.